someone said sure. Let us pray together before we get into the word of God. Father in heaven, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit may guide us as we study Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. We ask for your spirit to use us, Lord, and we pray as I come to you as a sinner in need of grace. I come to you, Lord, asking that Jesus, you may be seen and that the man who's standing in front may disappear. I ask you, dear God, that you may speak to all of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you back to my home. One night, I decided to leave home um, and go out, disobeying a rule that my grandmother had given to me. It was late in, in, the, in the morning hours. I, I was told not to go to this party, and I decided to go anyway. And I came home, had a key, thought Grandma was asleep, and walked into the house, and I heard, have a seat. So I sat down. We need to talk. And so we started talking. And you know how, how uncomfortable that conversation gets? You know, you, the rules are repeated again to make sure that you understood clearly what was said before. Now, did you understand when I told you not to go? And at that moment, you kind of ask yourself the question, if I say yes, that means I'm in a whole lot of trouble. If I say no, that means I wasn't listening at first, and then I'm in even more trouble. So you don't say anything. You just remain quiet. And she would continue. Did you understand that I repeated that command to you a couple of times? And at that point, the tears start falling down because you realize that you're in the wrong. And we generally don't like confrontations, do we? Especially when you know that you've done something wrong and you're being confronted about it. It's, 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 it's just not a comfortable feeling to experience. So this morning, I, I want to talk to you. We need to talk. We need to have somewhat kind of what my grandmother talked to me about. We need to have a confrontation. We don't really like those, but nonetheless, we need to talk. Because generally, as human beings, we have problems. Our problems vary. They come in different shapes, sizes, forms. Our problems are many. But there's one problem that we all have, and the Bible classifies that problem as a sickness, which means that then we're all sick in this room. So I want to talk to you about your sins. Now, that's not the most comfortable conversation to have, your sins. It just sounds so condescending for a pastor to say your sins. So I'm going to say it's, it's very uncomfortable to have this conversation with you because I myself am a sinner. But we need to talk. So let's talk. Sins. What are those? That three-letter word that seems to describe a lot of us in our experience on a day-to-day -day basis. But I also want to talk to you about the blood that washes sins away. And that's even better than that conversation. But we need to go through the first one first. Sins. You remember that time when you told that lie to save your own reputation? That time where you try to save your own skin, therefore you made up some story to make it look like, yeah, I'm fine. And then you came to church and you smiled and you told everyone, yeah, everything is good. But you know deep down inside there's something missing. Sins. 
We don't generally start a sermon talking about sins, but there's more. You know, there are, there are only certain kind of people who we allow to confront us about problems that we're experiencing. My grandmother was one of those. She could confront me about anything. If I said the wrong word in a conversation, she would just give me the look, and the look seems like a whip in itself. And I would correct my ways. Did I really just say that? I'm sorry. But then, sins. But pastor, you don't, you don't even know that I'm losing hold on God this very moment, and it seems that there's nothing I can do to keep my grasp on him. I've been hurt too many times. There's no one who really cares about me, especially in this congregation. I, I don't even know if I belong here. And it's here that I would like to remind you that you are in your father's house. And there are many who, in these moments of, of, of feeling down or downtrodden or discouraged, we tend to think like, you know what, things are not going to work out. I need, to, I need to skip out. But it would be a very bad situation if your siblings were to leave home because of you. Yet, at the end of the day, this is your father's house. So even if we don't get along as siblings, this is still your father's house. And so we can stay. Like Abraham, sometimes we made up stories. And we come up with our own plans, like he did with Hagar and had a son called Ishmael. That moment where we went in the wrong direction, had that wrong relationship, and so on. And I know we normally pick on people who do those things, but nonetheless, sin is sin. In our society, we don't really have that conversation about sin at all. In fact, we tend to, to, just, we tend to move in a different direction. We don't try to confront anyone about sin. We have more like a smooth conversation. But let's lay it all on the table. Let's talk. That time where we decided that it's more convenient to keep our jobs than to keep the Sabbath. Or even that time where we gossiped about someone else behind their backs while looking over our shoulders to make sure that they weren't coming. Yeah, this is getting uncomfortable. I have some too. I've done some things where I... I confess that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not stand a chance. But sins. God doesn't like them, but somehow we do. Sins. God came to save us from them, but sometimes we do cling to them. Sins. Let's talk. Maybe this morning, husband wife, you're probably not getting along, there's some arguments, and someone needs to forgive someone else, and no one's budging, because we're playing hardball. You know, the book of Isaiah is as uncomfortable as this conversation. Isaiah chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. Isaiah had to do that. I imagine Isaiah had to sit down and confront the nation of Israel with the state of things in their nation. As it were, they were the people of God 
But nonetheless, there were some things that they were doing that was just not right. And Isaiah had to say something. Isaiah's name means God is my salvation. And just imagine, God is my salvation sounds more hopeful than Isaiah chapter 1. But nonetheless, he had to speak. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, page 782, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. We know some of these names. These kings were not all good men. Some of them were, but the others were more questionable. They had problems. These names Isaiah mentioned specifically because each king was known for something that he did in Israel that caused the nation to go in the wrong direction. Some did things that were right. Others did things that were wrong. Uzziah, for example, experienced prosperity under God's hand. He started out good. His reign began at a young age, and he was victorious over his enemies. His kingdom was beautiful for situation. I mean, being under Hosea's reign was, was a time of prosperity. Everything was going well. Horses, chariots, and one inspired writer says that Uzziah's reign was the greatest since Solomon's time. These were the good old days. Some would say as they think about Isaiah's time. But Isaiah's sin was pride. That was his sin. That was his problem. For the Bible says that Hosea, the, the, let me skip here. But when he was strong, the Bible says, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Hosea thought that as a king, he could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And so though it was commanded for the priest to offer sacrifice, Hosea decided that he himself was going to do it. And so he walked into the temple and did his own thing. The priest approached him. Hosea, what are you doing? This is not right for you, a king, to enter the holy place of God and to do what you desire. And he said, who are you to speak to me? And in that moment, Uzziah had leprosy, and he died a leper. His sin was pride. Isaiah wasn't mincing words. He had to illustrate or announce immediately who he was talking to. Then there was Jotham. Jotham didn't have really a lot of problems. He was a good king, actually. You know, the Israelites were going up and down after they rejected God in the book of Samuel. From from being their king, they chose their own kings. And from then on, kings were going up, they were going down, they were being good, they were being bad. And Israel was going on this cycle for a very long time. And that's what sin does. It brings us on an endless cycle. Jotham did well. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But the nation of Israel still progressed. They were far off course. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 2, but still the people acted corruptly. 
under King Jotham. Ahaz was one of the most surprising to me. His sin was idolatry. And he really didn't care. Ahaz did everything that he wanted to do. And some of the things that he did was surprising. He made images to Baal in the place of worship that God, had, God himself had designated. He replaced the worship of the true God to the worship of idols, and he celebrated it. His sin, among other things, was idolatry. The Bible says, For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded image for, for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his own children in the fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel, Ahaz sacrificed his own children for his idolatry. Just imagine living in a nation during that time. Just imagine you being an Israelite walking up the street, and you see the smoke. You know what's going on. You know it's King Ahaz, and you know that he's sacrificing his own children. Isaiah had a message to bear, and his message was not an easy one. His message had to do with confronting what was going on during that time. Things were so crazy in Israel. Imagine how crazy you must be to sacrifice your own children in the fire to this God that you're seeking to worship. Another inspired writer says that during this time, Israel, their fault was the fact that they clung to prosperity and forgot God. They were filled with money, but even their money was taken from the poor. For Isaiah says that they build their houses from the supplies that was to be given to the poor. So they're robbing people. There was economic imbalances. Everyone for himself. And they sought to live life that way. But then there's Hezekiah. As Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1. Hezekiah had some ups and downs, and at one point became proud, but, him, but humbled himself, and God answered his prayers. Hezekiah at one moment had a prayer session with Isaiah, and God answered him when he was about to be defeated by the Syrians. But there's this one time where Hezekiah was about to die, and he prayed. The Bible says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. This is one of my favorite chapters, by the way, in the book of Isaiah. Because King Hezekiah prayed a prayer and God answered by performing a miracle. The miracle that God performed was to turn the sun back 10 degrees. Can you imagine God doing that for sinners? God doing that for people like you and me. God listens to our prayers. God turned the son back, gave him more time. And Hezekiah, in response to God's answer to his prayers, said this, Indeed, it was for my peace that I had great bitterness. 
But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Who is this God that takes sins and casts them behind his back? The very sins that we talked about in the beginning. Or whatever the sins are, who is this God that takes them and move, removes them from in front of us and himself and casts them behind his back? Isaiah 59, if you'll turn there with me, the Bible says, God expressing his desire to save mankind. God stating it clearly that the problem is not his ability to save the problem is our willingness to accept his salvation. Behold, the Bible says, Isaiah 59, verse 1, page 854. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. My question is, what do we do with sin? Where do we take our sin? As we talk about this important topic come now, I want to create a sense of emergency in your mind. God is willing to accept the faulty, erring human beings like you and I. Yet if we do not approach him in full openness and without the fear of being exposed, we will never experience forgiveness that he offers. Your sins that are weighing you down, walking with a hunch as you are burdened by guilt. Those sins that we talked about and the ones that we didn't mention, even those God can take. Those wounds that are scabbed over, God is wanting to heal, but like a skillful physician, he has to first expose them. Isaiah goes further in Isaiah chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. Isaiah was surprised as God was. He was expressing the Lord's disdain for what was happening in Israel. And God was not going to cut corners. He was going straight. Verse 2, God calls attention. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Like a father who has been working hard his entire life to provide for his children, God finds himself at a place where he was being rejected, the one who gave everything to supply for Israel's needs. God goes on, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. Can you imagine that? As a father, you come home having, having worked hard to provide for your children's education, and you come into the house and not even a hello. As you sit down on the sofa, waiting to have a conversation about how their day went, and as you wait to, to have a conversation of someone asking you, how did your day go, Dad? But you heard nothing. They don't even consider you. That's God's statement here. God goes on in verse 4. Alas, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They are forsaking the Lord. They are provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. 
so far. Verse 5, the Bible goes on. Why should you be stricken? Again, this, by the way, is the system that God used to correct the nations back then. If a nation became wicked, another nation would subdue that nation. And here it is that the Syrians were now approaching Jerusalem. The Babylonians were coming sooner or later, and Israel needed to get things in order. But God was at the point where he's saying, why even have these nations punish you? Because you don't even get better. Why should you be stricken anymore? You'll revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faints. Can you imagine the children of God being in this condition? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. God is, is speaking and he is making things clear. I was reading the other day and came across this statement that I would like to share from Scott Peck. The tendency to avoid problems is the primary cause of all mental illness. The tendency to avoid problems is the primary cause of all mental illness. One of the problems with Israel was the fact that even though Isaiah would announce these things, they did not acknowledge. So they felt things were fine. Our nation is going great. Nothing is wrong. There is no sin in our nation. There is nothing to talk about, Isaiah. You need to be quiet. In fact, Isaiah was sawed in half by Manasseh. He was killed, bearing such a message. Isaiah had made a commitment in Isaiah chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah had the privilege of looking into the throne room of God. And saw the Holy One of Israel, the King of kings and the Lords of lords, sitting on his throne. And the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 1, page 789. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah begins to think about his own condition in the presence of God. And he announces in verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of, Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphims flew to, him, to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah experienced the salvation that his name announces. That's what his name means. God is my salvation. You see, before we can talk about salvation to other people, we must first experience it ourselves. And Isaiah, after that, the Bible says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us to speak to this nation? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. You know, one of the number one problems, one of the number one reasons why we are fearful in going out and sharing 
God with others is the fact that we don't know much about God ourselves. I've, I've had that happen to me too, you know, I think about, but we don't wait for, for that. We, we ask the Lord to be with us and we delve in, we search more about the God that we love so much. You know, I can't wait to get to heaven because when I get there, I'll see Jesus, the one who died to give me a chance. Isaiah chapter 1 again, Isaiah keeps going. The whole head is sick and the, the whole heart things. And Isaiah keeps, keeps announcing that the Israelites were in, were in a very bad situation. Like he wasn't mincing words, you know. The, the verse 8, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would, have, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. God's people, was, they, were, they were in such a state that they were being compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? God's frustration like a father was worked hard to provide for his children, yet they would not even oblige to listen to what he had to say. You know, I was driving here a couple of days ago. I think it was this week, actually. I was coming to my office, and I was driving on the highway from home, and while I was driving there, I saw some lights flashing behind me in the distance, and I thought, well, you know, I... I Maybe this is an emergency vehicle, vehicle trying to get to their destination. So I pulled over to the fast lane thinking, uh, slow lane, thinking that they're about to get into the fast lane to, to go by. And me anticipating ahead of time made the wrong decision. I actually pulled over into the wrong lane, the lane that they wanted to get into to make an exit. And so here I was in this slow lane blocking this emergency vehicle about to make an exit, and this was the first time this ever happened to me. I had the horns and the lights flashing, the headlights. And I thought, well, let me get out of their way. And then while driving, after removing, of course, getting out of their way, while driving, I thought about the fact that this was someone's life that was at stake. And... I did some research. I, I asked myself the question, why do we even pull over when we see emergency vehicles? There is a law, by the way. It's called Move Over America. That's exactly what it's called. It was, it was launched in 1996 in South Carolina because someone didn't pull over. There was an accident on the side of a road and an emergency vehicle had showed up and someone was tending to the other person who was in the accident and a driver came and killed the paramedic. And the move over law was instituted at that point. So public service announcement, do not block emergency vehicles. Move over, it's the law. Something else I learned about emergency vehicles is that timing is important. Timing is important. Let's say, for example, that someone caught a stroke and you call 911. The moment that call goes in, they have the, a clock ticking. How long would it take for me to get to that individual in order to save their lives? 
and I have read that the best result is yield. When an ambulance gets to someone who has a stroke between five minutes or less. Five minutes or less. And there's a term that they use. And the term is called time is brain. Why? Because in those moments of, of, of waiting, in those moments of, of lingering, in those moments of, of hesitation, someone is losing brain power. Time is brain. Isaiah announces that the whole head is sick, and I want to say that God has an emergency message that he is giving to you and I. Time is brain. Because if we allow sin to have its course, we will be losing brain power. So God, what does he do? He says, come now. It seems like Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 is an emergency response to the sin problem. Come now. Don't wait. Come now. Come now. And then God goes on. Let us reason together like my grandmother. Come, have a seat. Let us talk about it. And so we approach God's throne. As Paul says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find help in a time of need. God says, come now. This response was to the kind of sickness that was worse than stroke itself. Sin is more deadly than it. As the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Therefore, come now. When Adam and Eve sinned, there was an emergency response because immediately God himself walked through the garden in the cool of the day, searching for them. Adam, Eve, where are you? Let's talk. When Cain was upset, there was an emergency response for God to spend time with him talking about his anger and how to stay away from sin that was lying at the door. Though Lot was stubborn and made a bad choice by going into Sodom in the nick of time, there was an emergency response for God sent angels to pull him out. Though Jacob was a liar and a cheat, right on time there was an emergency response for God came and wrestled his guilt out of his hands. Though the world was caught up in the wrong crowd, in the grasp of the prince of darkness, just in time, there was an emergency response. For Christ himself died on the cross to secure redemption for us. What do we do with sin? The Bible says in the book of 1 John, chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What makes me happy is that God is not afraid of our sins no matter what color they are. We can come to him and express, Lord, I have messed up. And he said, listen, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. Which means then that if God doesn't forgive you, he's not faithful and just. But if we don't confess, then we also are suggesting that God is not faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Not my God. For he's always able to save to the uttermost those who call upon him. Who is this God that is so willing to forgive sins? My God, I have nothing to offer you but a sickly body, a mangled mind, and a broken heart, and a wayward disposition. Yet you say, come now. Let us reason together. 
Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 is one of my favorite verses. Because Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, though Isaiah announces the horrible condition of Israel, Isaiah's name is fulfilled in this one verse because God is calling, come now, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. And in this context, scarlet was a very bad condition for a king to be sacrificing even his own children. Scarlet didn't look too good. Confession is a verbal expression. It is, an, it is an admission of the fact that, yes, Lord, I am, exactly, I am exactly what you described me to be. Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me. Then in that moment, the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive us. Come now, though your sins be as scarlet. The Bible is so colorful. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be made like wool. And then in verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. In order to experience eating of the good of the land and the restoration that God wants to give us, we have to first transition through this idea of coming to God and laying it all on the table. Let's talk. Come now, don't delay, because this emergency, if you delay, you lose brain power. Lord, things do not look so good here. My life is colored and stained by all that I've been involved with. The scarlet hues are rather discouraging to look at, but God, to God, it doesn't matter. Come now and let us talk it over. Because God has a solution. God has a solution. My life is stained with crimson. The color can be described with so many different things that I did. The lies, the, the, the adultery, all these different things that I fell into. But God says, no. Come. Let us talk it over. Because it doesn't matter what color you come, with, come to me with. I have the power to change it to white. Come now, because this call is urgent. God did not say come tomorrow because he understands how serious sin can be. He did not say come next week as if to say to make an appointment. God did not say hold off until you get it just right, until you figure out just how to get the sin problem fixed. You cannot do it by yourself. So come now, be free, be made whole, like the man I read about who went home to visit his son, an old farmer who, didn't, who wasn't really, he didn't really, wasn't really as intellectual as his child was. He went to visit his son in school. His son was, was thought himself to be a high caliber young man. His father was just a simple farmer, went to visit. They were having dinner, and the son invited some of his friends over, and the father was sitting there with them. And as the son looked at his father, he thought, he doesn't belong here, he doesn't fit in. Dad, you go over there in the library and read a book while I talk to my friends, because it's more intellectually stimulating. 
dad went into the library and sat down and began reading. And as the son was sitting down talking to his friends, he heard a shout, and the shout was, Hallelujah! And he thought, this man is embarrassing me. So the son stomped over to his dad. Dad, what are you doing? Why are you making this noise? You are embarrassing me in front of my friends. You stop now. Give me this book. The dad explained, son, I, I, the, 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 the son asked, dad, why did you shout? The, son the dad expressed, hey, I was reading this book, the Bible, and I read somewhere in here where the Bible says God will take my sins and cast them into the depth of the sea. Hallelujah. And he shouted again. The son was angry, grabbed the Bible from him, tossed it down and said, here, you take this book and read instead. Walked away, began talking to his friends. And before long, he heard another shout, hallelujah. And he thought, what is it this time? Walked over to his dad. Dad, I told you, you are embarrassing me. Stop now. And he asked, what is it now? Why are you shouting? The father said, son, you gave me, the, the, I read the Bible where it says, God will take my sins and cast them into the depth of the sea. And you took that from me, but you gave me this book. And this book is an atlas. And it says there are some parts in the sea that they cannot find the bottom. Hallelujah. And so he was celebrating. Because he realized that God had the power to forgive sins. That's freedom. That's freedom. And for that, we can shout hallelujah because God has given us the invitation. Come now, bring it before me, and I will cleanse you. I wonder sometimes why we don't go to God. Sometimes, maybe it's because we feel like we've messed up too many times. God, I can't talk to you now. Why? You probably wouldn't even listen to me. But God is saying, come now. Don't delay. Let's talk about it. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. He wants to talk to you. Jesus understood that there was a huge gap between him and the world that he created. And Jesus saw that there was a great need for this gap to be mended. And so he came on an errand an errand that he had decided to do ever since sin entered the world. And Jesus, on a cross, while laying there, being pounded with nails in his hands, and a soldier looking at him in his face with knees on his arms as they are outstretched, and in that moment, Jesus had the power to wipe out all of humanity. But in that moment, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the God that we're talking about. That's the God that we're talking about. So I hope that you're inspired to talk. Open that door. Walk in and sit down. God, we need to talk. Let's talk. No matter what the sin is, no matter what the problem is, let's talk about it.
because he's willing to listen. As he says, come now and let us reason together. Let's have a conversation. I wonder if there's someone here today who would like to say, Lord, I want to talk to you, and I want to talk to you now. I wonder if there's someone here today who knows that there's something in your heart that you needed to give up or let go. You've been hiding away from talking to the Lord. If, if that's you, I'm going to invite you up front. I would like to pray with you. I would like to talk with God along with you. Come now, let us reason together. If there's someone here who you've been talking to God, but maybe over the past couple of days you probably haven't opened the word of God at all to listen to his voice speaking to you. I want to ask if you want to take advantage of that opportunity to say, Lord, now I want to talk to you. Now I would like to talk to you. I want to hear your voice. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to come pray with me. Let's talk to God together. If it's your desire to continue that walk with the Lord, faithfully so, following him wherever he leads you. I'm going to invite you to please stand as we pray to close. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be made as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. I pray that you may experience this wonderful promise as Isaiah announces in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to talk with you. We are so thankful that you give the invitation. You do not wait for us to come and say, let's talk, but you call us first. Come now, let us reason together. We understand, Lord that our lives are not what it should be. We ask you, Lord, as we come to you now, as Jesus has said, if anyone comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. As you've said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we come before you as sinners, myself included. And I ask you now for that blessed forgiveness that you've promised. Please help us now to walk the walk with you as we continue this journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.